Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. God Whispers podcast. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. We are just rocking this whole podcasting thing. <laughs> We're attempting to get back to a weekly format. Let's see how long this lasts. Huh? We just had a, a great pre-show conversation on sumo wrestlers and ice skating, so maybe we'll share a little of that later on. It's, you know, it's good stuff. Some, sometimes good stuff. You, you shouldn't tell the patrons what you've been talking about in the kitchen. It's just not a good idea. Well, I do have my pants on this it's time. Like, good. So, thank you. This it's, time. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now... <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was a little different when we used to back in GW 1.0 when we used to meet face to face across the kitchen table. Uh, yeah, it was it was yes. a different time back then. But yeah. here now you could be completely naked and I wouldn't know. You remember back when we were going to hell partly because I decorated the Christmas tree in my boxers? What? No, I don't. I, what? That what? was the uh, the Christian news article about go to hell with the god whispers and <laughs> I, I think most of it was because... about your heresy but then then it was it was brought up that i mentioned that i decorated my christmas tree in my boxers which apparently will lead you to hell what was the uh, offensive part boxers or the christmas tree i think it was the dress socks with the boxers <laughs> and the christmas tree <laughs> that's it right there the, that, that'll set it over the, the edge the right red there. socks with the with the ornaments Dress socks, dress socks, dress socks. The, the, uh, black toe know. socks. Do they have toes? The, the uh, post-church nap <laughs> that you wake up from, and somehow you manage to not even kick off your socks because you are so tired. And oh then you yeah, boy! Start decorating the tree. For me, that's every night. That's become an every night thing. I, I I eat dinner, I watch the news, maybe taking a little hockey or something, and boom, out, gone. Do you, Do you take a nap after church on Sundays? I do. I do. I'm spent. I, I'm I, just the introvert in me is just run. All my battery cells are dead. Uh, yeah, I mean, people don't understand how much we actually invest ourselves in between classes and worship and everything else. I don't know about you, but that is the sleep of the dead. Well, no. I do not sleep any better all week than <laughs> that is that that two hour nap on a Sunday afternoon. I if you came in and checked my vitals, it'd probably be flatlined. Right, I, I <laughs> they'd come with that big body bag. They're about to take you out. Wait, wait, he's just sleeping. He's not quite dead. That's you know he's just mostly oh. That'll wake anybody up, won't it? Hello. <laughs> that scared the daylights out of me. And that was just an electronic version. <laughs> I <laughs> I hit the soundboard. Let's do that you know, again. That was awesome. When we, hey. Wow. 
We, uh, when we left California, Paula had to turn in the gong. That oh, was sad. That's a, uh, that was a borrowed gong? Yeah, it was a school gong. That was a, that was a great, great, great sadness. Yeah. Yeah, I missed the gong. <laughs> we would say, hey, by the way, if you want to make a contribution for a new God Whispers gong, oh, feel, feel free. Donate on, on our website. Just click that donate button. It goes right into the God Whispers hopper. and uh, The will, gong fund. We'll, we'll buy a new gong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I missed that. That was great. Hey, did you have a good Trinity Sunday? Trinity Sunday was Trinitarian rock, man. It really was. Yeah. No, Trinity Sunday is is kind of our that's our namesake Sunday. Yeah, every church they used to name churches after the relics of the saints that were contained therein, right? So and have, so but Trinity Sunday, there's no relic of a Trinity. It's just <laughs> that that's what I was trying doc- to figure out. It's a doctrine. But we're Holy yeah, Trinity Lutheran Church. Toenail of the Holy Spirit in your altar. No, or no, a feather. It would be a feather of the Holy feather. Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> but but no, we're Holy Trinity Lutheran Church, and so that's kind of our that's our our big day. So we always sing, "I bind unto myself the name that that St. Oh, Patrick's one. breastplate one." That's, yes. that's our fight song. So we we get yes. we really get into that. We get all get riled up about that, and uh, and then of course you you we have the resounding and and confounding Athanasian Creed. Now, do you do that responsively, or just read it straight through, or what? We do it responsively, just to hold interest. Yeah, that's. I think. I think that's the the way to go. Keeps the kids alert. I don't know if it's the way to go or not. I'm thinking that maybe in the years to come we might do antiphonal, right side, left side, or I don't oh. know. But, yeah, I could do it that way. You know, you could get get into the whole. We've got the spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the spirit. How about you? And just <laughs> put that in there. And uh, so I, I, I have to ask because it always comes up on Holy Trinity Sunday. What 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 analogy did you use for the Trinity this year? Uh, the Holy Trinity is like a McDonald's Big Mac. Okay, all right. Uh, all right. You help got help your, me through that. Help you me. Get help your, me that. Uh, <laughs> you get your meat. You've got your bread and your special <laughs> sauce. <laughs> and and the meat is not the special sauce, and the special sauce is not the bun. Right, but but the special the, sauce proceeds from the meat and the bun together. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, and, that's true. <laughs> and but but I may go to hell for this. I'm not sure. Nevertheless, there is not go to hell with the God Whispers Part Two. There are not three buns but one bun. There's not three special sauces <laughs> but one special sauce. There's not three burgers but one burger. Uh oh, the Big Mac doesn't work because there are two patties. Oh, ooh. Don't you remember two all patty special, special sauce, sauce, lettuce, lettuce cheese, pickles, cheese, pickles, onions. Onions on a sesame seed bun. There are too many ingredients to have a Trinity analogy. That's that, true. That just totally See, it failed. always breaks down. Never the, holds up. You know, here's the problem with the Trinity is that the Trinity is, is a paradox, that something is three and one at the same time. And, and even, even attaching philosophical labels such as person, you know, hypostasis, and essence, ousias, that doesn't explain anything. That's just labeling, you know? So don't think that you, like, understand it just because you know those words. Um, all theology is analogy, and analogies break down. There's nothing you can do about this. Nothing. It just is. God is free. I don't pay to Jesus. This is going to get bumpy. There, exactly. That's there exactly you go. It gets bumpy. You know, one of the best ones, actually, oddly, is is St. Patrick's uh, legendary illustration of the shamrock. The three loaf, 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 three leaf clover. Yeah, of which each each piece also is three lobed too. So, 
So it's it's it actually is kind Uh-oh. it kind of works. You just turn into Benny Hinn with his nine part trinity. No, 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 no. It's not three times three, but each each of the each of the the parts partakes of the whole. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct. So it kind of, it it kind of works, but yeah, you know, it all break down sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. The reality is there is no good analogy for the Trinity because it is a mystery. It 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 is that it is a mystery. I I liken it to uh, tomatoes. There's there's tomato on the vine, and then there's tomato sauce, and then there's sun dried tomatoes. Ah. Yeah, I see. So they are distinct, and yet of they the are same essence of the same tomato essence, but they are distinct. So the tomato sauce is not a tomato, and a tomato is not a sun-dried tomato. But I just but get hungry when I think about that. I don't, I don't feel enlightened. The sauce just, is not necessarily said of the t- tomato, nor necessarily said of the sun-dried. The tomato incomprehensible. The sauce incomprehensible. The sun-dried tomato incomprehensible. Yeah. Oh, you're starting to pick up some steam on this. Does I think it, I will buy into this heresy. Do you think that the Athanasian Creed uh, clarifies or or makes even muddier? I think if you are willing to invest a few months of study, it clarifies. If you're dedicating a Sunday to it, it just confounds. I like two things about the Athanasian Creed. I like its over-the-topness. Unless you, you know, believe this, you're going to hell. Yeah, right. This That's is the cool. Catholic faith. Unless you believe it, you're toast. Uh, you know, th- this was written back in a day when people believe something fervently. So I like that. The, the other thing that I like about it is that it really kind of, there's a certain sense of what I would call creedal impatience. It's like the church has been arguing about the nature of the Trinity and the two natures of Christ for like four or 500 years. And this creed basically says, shut up already. Okay, this is, this is all that we've ever said. We can't say any more. Stop it. Just stop it. And, <laughs> and, and so it just says everything. And so then, it's, it's kind of the final word. Right. It, it's like in the East, I think they declared the end of dogma with John of Damascus. They said, no more. We're not going to do any more dogmatizing. And then they kept dogmatizing. They couldn't stop themselves. But uh, there's something about the Athanasian Creed that just says, knock it off. Okay, we, we've exhausted the topic. There's nothing more to say. Yeah, I, I, I could, I could see that. People don't know what to do with it. You can tell. No. You look out in the pews; they're glazing over. They're going, "What? <laughs> What's this?" You know, you, you get people afterwards going, "I don't understand that." Right? Oh, I've had people say, "Don't ever use that again." <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I well, see your point. We'll pick it up again next year. I think oh. to follow like the tomato sauce analogy, when it comes to creeds, uh, Apostles' Creed, slightly underdone. The pasta is still a little dry in the middle. Uh, Nicene Creed, al dente, perfectly done. Perfectly done. Athanasian Creed, a little overcooked. It's getting soggy now. <laughs> so pull it out of the water and let's serve it up now because it's not going to get any better. The more you talk, the worse it's going to get. I'm thinking the Trinity as lasagna now. Okay. So you got noodle. Noodle, cheese, sauce. Sauce, ragu. Yeah. The ragu is not the cheese. The cheese is not 
the noodle. Actually, I just started getting hungry. Yeah, I know. Quick break, break for well, let's break for lunch here. Right? We found uh, some good Italian food here, by the way, in Cleveland. In Cleveland, yeah, what, what did you find? Yeah. What did you find? Uh, in Parma, a place called Rockies. Whoa, whoa, whoa! A- any place that's named Parma is already on the right well, track. We we live in Parma, so that's that's the deal. So do you actually you can, do you actually like claim to having genuine Parmigiano Reggiano, or is that? Uh, not uh i'm gonna to have to look into that and get back to you mm, i'm not sure okay. uh but uh anyway yeah rockies i, I had their gnocchi homemade gnocchi no, not your frozen fresh pasta homemade pasta the sauce was was pretty good i mean i'm real picky on my sauces but right. uh it was good it was good and uh paula had a, a dish that she just raved about what did she have uh, it was uh some Pasta with tomatoes and and uh, uh, chicken and mushrooms mm. and a whole bunch of stuff in there. That so I'm would, not a mushroom you, guy, but would yeah. you call this place uh, genuine Italian or Italian American? Um, Italian American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which yeah. isn't to be despised. I mean, I'm, no, I'm not. No. I'm not kind of playing the authenticity card. Well, okay, but, so you've been to Roma d'Italia with me in in Tustin, California. Yeah. How how do you classify that? That's leaning more in the Italian. Okay. No well, no that, no. Stop. Take it back. That's Italian American. That that place is Italian American. Yeah yeah. I was thinking of that other cafe that we were at. I forgot the name of it. But Pina's. That, yeah. Pinas, that yeah. is that is much more like uh, a, an Italian osteria or a trattoria yeah. or something like that. that yeah, well, you, that's you got closer. Mama Pina cooking in the back there. It's yeah. hard to go wrong. Well, you know, yeah. the, the test for me is if everything isn't smothered in tomato sauce with a bunch of cheese on top, then right. you're, you're getting you're getting more into the Italian way because the Italian way is to just take fresh ingredients and try not to screw them up. Just very simple. The cooking is very, very simple. But I think you get more into the... the, the uh, the red sauces as you go south in Italy yes. more and more. Well, that's the other thing. Italian American is Sicilian and and Southern Italy. Yeah, very N- Naples influence for yeah. the most part. When we were well, think about a pizza. So a pizza in Italy is a very simple thing: very thin crust, very few ingredients. It's just it's really kind of a, a leftover extender in many ways. Yeah. But then you get into pizza in America, and all hell breaks loose. You you know you have the <laughs> Chicago deep dish pizza. You know. It's it's like you know seven hundred calories per half slice, and but that's not the spirit of pizza. That's just no. that's that's the evolution of pizza. Something something has gone wrong on the evolutionary scale and has produced now, this. Now my kind grandma of thing. used to make the Napolitano pizza yes. from Naples. Yeah, but now she and didn't have a wood fired oven. Did no, she? no, 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 no. But it, it was very simple, like you're saying. It was delicious. I remember being about five years old and my grandma looking at me, holding a pizza and saying, have a piece of a de pizza. And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Have a piece of a de pizza. And I'm like, what? I don't know what you're saying. Piece of a de pizza. Piece of a de I'm like, Dad, I don't know what yeah, grandma's saying. Right. One of those grandmas that grandma's stays having with an you. attack. There's piece of a de pizza. Piece of a de pizza. I just got a little Noki board. Oh, uh, you know one of those little slotted things where you can kind of roll off the gnocchi and get the little ridges properly on them. I know you can uh, do it on the back of a fork, but it works yeah. better off of a little gnocchi board. I could have made I'm, one, but it was so cheap, I just bought it. Yeah, hey, grandma used to do it with a fork. That's yeah, I but I, you know, I watched these these grandmas. She was making, a machine. Oh gosh, yeah. She just crank them out. Years and years and years of that. 
Yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, but the the thing about gnocchi is that there's different kinds. I, I didn't realize oh, yeah. that. I made potato, a potato gnocchi, and it was actually much softer and it, it was much more like a dumpling than right. than pasta. Uh, but then I discovered semolina gnocchi, which is much chewier. It's got mm. much more of a bite to it. And I have this book on pasta. It's called Pasta by Hand, and it literally has about two dozen pastas from Italy that are not noodle. So they're not fettuccine or linguine or spaghetti. I may need to get that book. I'll shoot you a link. It's, it's a very good book, and it has all kinds of sauces. And, but it, it goes through the whole realm of pasta as small dumpling. And mm. it's really, really good. So Nice. Yeah. Your, nice. your grandma would approve, I think. Yes. Yeah. Well, now that we've eaten... <laughs> I'm done. I'm going to get some food. I, yeah, I need a nap now. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to Rockies. You want to go to the mailbag? <laughs> Let's go Let's to the mailbag. The God Whispers mailbag brought to you by Pasta R Us. Pasta R Us. All right, here we go. So this comes from a listener who spends a little too much time on social media. Dear manly doctors of divinity, divinity, yes, <laughs> diminished divinity, I'm reading a lot on social media about third use of the law. What exactly is a third use of the law? What are the other two uses, and should I be concerned? <laughs> well, when you, I say when you gotta go, you gotta go. <laughs> I'm leaving. Yeah, you should be concerned. I, 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 think, I think anybody <laughs> should be concerned. Third use of the law. When was the first time you ever heard that term? Um, I'm not sure if it was before seminary or not. Having lived with Rod Rosenblatt, I heard a lot of things that I should have never heard in my life. <laughs> things you cannot unhear. <laughs> and things I'm not allowed to yeah, talk about. Yeah, probably uh, not. <laughs> I remember as a kid in catechism class, 7th and 8th grade, learning the old, uh, this is a chestnut in catechism, the curb mirror rule. Yeah. Have you, you heard that or teach that? Yeah, yeah I use that with my kids. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you can, I, I, I found it in Kurth's Catechetical Helps, and I don't know how far back it goes. It's in our, it's in our Synodical Explanations Catechism, so it's, it's, it's tagged around for a long time. But that's kind of the classical, simple summary of the three uses of the law. The law is a curb, so it curbs coarse outbursts of sin, as I remember it going. You know, I'm thinking, wow, gee, I wonder what a coarse outburst of sin looks like. That's what you think about in seventh grade. Hmm, I may hmm. have a coarse outburst of sin just now. But so, but it, it acts as a curb to keep you from going over the line, right? Right. Keeps it, society in order. Yeah. Uh, mirror it was a reflection of our sinful condition, so it's kind of right. like that honest look at what you actually are as a sinner. And then rule or guide, uh, and not a rule as something to measure, but a rule as something to provide guidance. Like you know how you use a ruler to draw a straight line to help your 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 hand stay straight. So it's a guide to Christian living or a guide to the, the sanctified life, to holy life. And so curb mirror rule is what I heard. Now, um, then I, then I got to seminary. <laughs> hmm. Everything was fine, you know, until then I read the book of Concord and that's where things get a little stickier because the only time it ever comes up is in the, the formula of Concord. And it comes up in the context of the antinomian 
controversy where there were people saying that Christians don't need to hear the law anymore because they're free from the law. You know, the law has been kept by Christ and they're no longer uh, under the, the obligations of the law. Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. So there you go. You don't need to hear the law as a Christian anymore. True and, and false. Yeah, it, that's right. That's right. True and false. And so uh, Martin Chemnitz and Jakob Andre kind of addressed that and, and kind of forged some sort of, some sort of concord between the warring parties. And so we get Article 6 in the formula, where right off the bat it acknowledges that there are three uses of the law, uh, one a kind of a curbing external function, civil society, that kind of thing, the other a diagnostic use of the law that reveals the inner depths of our sin. Right. I like to call it a spiritual MRI. The second use is a deep look into the heart uh, to, to reveal that it's, it's not that you have problems. It's that you are the problem. Mm. Right. So it's, right. Not, it's not that you commit sins, but you have sin. You have a condition. And then the third use of the law is, is, is kind of a, it's a Christian use. It's, it's, it's a uniquely Christian thing where the Christian... Um, mortifies the flesh, disciplines the old Adam, and strives to lead a God-pleasing life insofar as he or she is capable, uh, given that we remain sinners. So that's kind, of, that's kind of the gist of it. The language actually goes back to Melanchthon in, uh, in his uh, 1521 Lotzi, where he, he talks about the three uses of the law in that way. And uh, Chemnitz picks up on Melanchthon. Uh, Chemnitz was a student of Melanchthon, so he picks up on Melanchthon's uh, three uses, and then it uh, employs that in the formula. And so Article 6 is really about this Christian use of the law, uh, that the Christian, even though he's not under the law, the law cannot condemn him, the law no longer accuses him, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Nevertheless, he still hears the law and uses it to uh, keep the old Adam in line and to discipline himself in holy living. And, you know, to guard himself against old Adam's notions of holiness, that kind of thing. So that's kind of the three uses. But there's a lot of conversation on that topic today. Do you, do you have any idea? I, I never even thought about this until you were giving this history of, of the three uses of the law here. Is this used by any church fathers that you're aware of? No. And, and you know, I'm glad you asked that because th there's another aspect of it. It's not biblical. The, this is kind of a man-made construct. Yeah, I mean, if you encounter the law in the Bible where Christ, where Paul says, you know, Christ is the end of the law to all who believe, or that the law is our guardian until we came to Christ, or the, uh, the law is good as so long as it's used lawfully, he says, 1 Timothy, that it is intended to be preached to sinners. Uh, he's just talking about the law, the immutable will of God. Uh, you know, summarized in, say, the Ten Commandments or, or some kind of summary like that. But there's no notion of uses anywhere. See, that, that, that's, it's not a biblical exegetical thing. It's kind of a convenient category. It's, it's something that we devised to help us to talk about the various ways that the law impacts our lives, I suppose. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now, here's the, here's the thing. I want you to think about this, and I'm just going to—I'll pose it as a question. So, Craig, a question. In the, in the law in its first use, and that is the law as a curbing function, what's the instrumentality of that use? Yeah, that would be pretty much a kingdom of the left. That would be the, uh, 
the if you do this, you will get smacked in the head or go to jail or worse. Right. This is the Mars lamp in your rearview mirror. Yes. This is the school principal. This is wait till your father gets home right. to beat the snot out of you. This is even, I would say, in the church, church discipline, that you can't come to the Lord's Supper till you knock it off. Kind of. Right. Yeah. So, so this is temporal, external, and it's applied by the authority structures, right? Yes. Yeah. Church, home, society. That those are right. those are God's instruments to curb the old Adam, so we don't kill ourselves and one another, right? Th- this is a use of God's law that even the pagans will enforce. Absolutely. That's the basis of all society, right? We yeah. have these these laws. If we're going to have a tribe, if we're going to have peace in the neighborhoods, we've got to have some agreement on how we're going to live in peace. So don't steal, don't murder, don't steal somebody's wife, that kind of stuff. You'll get clubbed. Or there are consequences. Right. So that's okay. Yeah. But they're temporal, and they don't fix anything. Right? They don't, no, but they, don't, they, they do keep people from stealing things and killing people. It's a curb. Sort of thing. Yeah. It's a, it, a curb right. generally keeps the vehicle off the sidewalk unless the driver confuses the gas and the brake pedal, and then all bets are off. Well, and then you see with school shootings and that sort of thing, people have jumped the curb. <laughs> yes, or or sort of my favorite illustration, the car breaching the lobby of the hotel. I love those. <laughs> yeah. I love those. Yes. I collect those so long as nobody gets hurt. I, I right, don't see right. people get hurt, but I find it strangely amusing to see like an SUV in a Hilton. I, I think there's just something really fun about that. But that's another that's another. There was a, a great one on Facebook uh, just a few months ago that was actually right near where we used to live in Santa Ana. And uh, it, it was a car that somehow got launched in an accident and lodged itself in the second floor of this office building. I saw that. And the first thought in my head was drugs or alcohol were involved in this accident. <laughs> I, I don't Did you or, see the actual video? Did you see um, the actual video? Yeah, I think I did, actually. Yeah. That sucker went airborne yeah. and, it, and it went right through the wall of the second floor of a house. Unbelievable. Does insurance even cover that, or does that become an act of God? Is that something they just write off and say, I, no. We, we can't cover that. Have, That's... Even farmers, you know, we, we know a little because we've seen a little. Been, no, we've never seen that before. That one's, that one's a little bit So, nutty. So keep, keep with the instrumentality right. idea, yeah. okay? So now let's go to the second use of the law, and that's the spiritual use, the internal diagnostic, the MRI. Not sins, but sin, the condition. So... What's the instrumentality of that? That would be the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Through the Word. And what's the instrumentality of the Word of God? Well, uh, preachers, I guess you would yes, say. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. The yeah. preacher is the instrumentality, because this is, this is the, the law that preachers preach. Right. Right? It's not that you're bad people, you do sins, stop it. But you do sins because you are sinners. You are children of Adam. You have this disease, and even if you think you're good, you're not good enough. The, the, the sickness is still there. And then what does the preacher do off of that? Hopefully he proclaims the gospel Otherwise, for Otherwise he's no, he's no preacher at all, right? Right. So, so, even, so that, that, that's what he's supposed to do. So he, he uses the law as a, diagno, a diagnosis for the cure. Right. So here's your condition. Here's the cure. 
you know, come to Christ. Christ is the cure for this condition. And so the law gospel of the preacher is the law is the, the diagnosis of the condition and the gospel is the cure in the sense. Yeah, yeah there you see. So, you know, you must repent. You must become new. You need to become new creation. You need to be in Christ. In Adam is, is no good. In Adam is your problem. So that's the second use. So the first use, the instrument is authority structure, temporal authorities. Second use, the preacher. So let's get to third use. What's the instrumentality of the third use? Well, um, in an indirect way, I'll say the preacher, but in an indirect way, because it's God who applies it through the Holy Spirit, but the Word still needs to come. Right. But the Holy Spirit always works through means. Right. You know, now we sometimes say, oh, well, it's we don't use the, the law. The Holy Spirit uses the law. True enough. But the Holy Spirit always works through means. Correct. And, and see, I think I think what the formula is telling us and what Melanchthon's telling us, what Chemnitz is telling us, is the third use of the law is the Spirit working through the Christian. So the new man in Christ is using the law to discipline the old man in Adam. Self-discipline. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit anyway, Galatians 5. True. And so I guess my point here is you don't, we preachers don't preach a third use of the law. We preach the law. Well, and that's why I was hesitant about how I answered that. I'm glad you were. Because, and, and this is the error that we see too often, is the idea that the pastor can direct the first use, which he can. If you don't stop that, you're going to go to jail. Well, that, that, but that's use. just a warning. He doesn't do that. Remember, we, we warn against um, pastors or bishops having temporal authority. Not a good idea. No, no, no. He is not the instrument of the completion, but still the proclamation of the law in that. Now, uh, boys and girls, I want you to know that this is the Ten Commandments. The second table, especially, if you violate those, you'll probably suffer some ill consequences here on earth. But that's not the worst that can happen to you. So what? You get a ticket, no. you get arrested, you get executed. I mean, it's not the worst. No, that's not the worst. So you're actually not even doing your proper role as a pastor. You're just being like a surrogate parent at that point, right? Yeah, not even that, because parents at least have the power to discipline their children. But you're, you're basically... We, we just simply have the power to say, hey, I'm warning you, you're, gonna, you're not going to like the consequences. Exactly. Poke your eye out, kid. You're describing the action-consequence relationship, but right. you're not really preaching. You're just, no. you're just describing the, the nature of this. And see, I would say it's the same in the third use. You're not, you're not preaching a third use of the law that empowers good works. You're encouraging Christians to be who they are, new people in Christ rather than sinners in Adam. They're both. They're both. Right. But they're the ones using the law. They're the ones who say no to the old. If you look in the scripture all over the place, Paul doesn't say, let me discipline your old Adam. That's not what he says. He right. says, put to death the old nature and its, its passions and desires. You do it. That's, that's what you, because that's who you are. You're new people in Christ. That's all death. It's gone. Christ has done away with it. So you put it to death. So the instrument of the third use is the Christian as saint, disciplining the Christian as sinner, <laughs> self-discipline. Well, so then in, in this paradigm, the law only really applies to the sinner. 
Always and not only. to the saint. No, the saint needs no. Our confessions say that if we were entirely right. saints and holy, we would need no law. In fact, the only purpose that the law serves for a saint is just a description of who he is and who Christ is. It's delightful. Right. I won't say it's gospel, but it ain't bad news if there's no sin. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It's like, I love to hear this law, but I don't. Why? Because I'm still sinner. It's, the, it's being seemal that's the problem. That's our problem. So we run into the problem of preachers saying, you have preached the law and told people that they are sinners in need of a Savior. You have preached the gospel saying you, you have a Savior in Christ. Now you need to preach the third use of the law. See, and I think when you do that, first of all, you've, you've switched roles. You've, you're, you'll either become the nanny... Okay, and that, that's a temporal authority first use. Or you'll become a nag. And that is, you, you're basically, you're going to become the local expert, see? So, and that's a problem that, that we clergy have. We think because we're ordained, we understand everything. That we're, we're wise in all things. And so not only uh, are we instructed and schooled in preaching the law diagnostically and the gospel therapeutically in the sense of, you know, uh, condition and cure, but now we know how to have a happy marriage. We know all the secrets of relationships. We have, um, you know, everything, all the tools to keep you from coveting, stealing, lusting, desiring. Uh, we have 12 steps for this and 10 steps for that and all kinds of things. So now we become the resident guru. We, be, we become kind of a lifestyle coach at that point. See what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I just kind of get a kick out of looking at people in their nonsense and going, huh. Right. <laughs> just, just kind of, huh. See, uh, you know, how, as how's that, that going to work out? And we'll, let's put it we'll this see. way. Out of our office, and especially with the out of the authority of office, even when we attempt to speak in third-use terms, we're really doing second-use work. And that's, that's the kicker. And that's why you can't do that law diagnosis, gospel cure. Oh, now that you're cured, law, here's how to live. You're going back to that. You're going back again. See, now you've got to follow it up with gospel again because you've, you've opened the wound again. See, I've always understood that it's the Holy Spirit that applies the second or third use of the law. And the first. The Spirit, where the Word is at work, there the Spirit's at work. Well, but the Spirit always works sure, through means, yeah. through means. But, but still, not, nonetheless, if I, if I proclaim the law to you and, and tell you, you know, this is what the righteousness of God is, and, and this is what God requires of you. And this is what you must do in order to be saved if you are going to try it without Christ, which, by the way, good luck. But in the second use, you are crushed by that because I can never do that. In the third use, you hear, this is what God looks like, and I want to be like him. But it's, this, it's the Holy Spirit that will apply that to the individual where he or she may be in their life, are they contrite for their sins and broken already, and I want to be more like my Father in heaven, or am I needing to be chastised soundly so that I'd be driven to my knees and receive grace with open arms? And, it, and it's, it's the Holy Spirit that will declare to us where we are and what we need. 
Well, and so let's let's follow through that. If if it's the Holy Spirit that determines how this law impacts the hearer and what he does, then you can never say as a preacher, "Oh, I'm using the law in its third use," because you no. don't. That toggle switch is not available to you. I think the closest you can come is this is what a perfect God looks like and what we should strive to be like as Christians. But then you're going to be driven to your knees right away and say, but I'm not. Right. And I don't. And so, and especially when it comes from one with the authority of office and the authority of Christ, it's going to be a second use hearing because that's, that's the one you have. I will go so far as to say the first use is in the hands of temporal authority. The second use is in the hands of the preacher. And the third use is in the hands of the Christian as saint. And and to just leave it clean as that. Because um, even as I, if a pastor, if I encourage you to live a life of holiness, I'm not doing so as a pastor. I'm doing so as a fellow Christian. And I think there's a big difference between those two. I agree. <laughs> you agree. <laughs> there are a lot of people who don't, Craig. There are well, a lot I of know. people who don't, and I think they've muddied the but waters. But we are the manly doctors of divinity. They need to we listen to We bring clarity, us. we bring simplicity, we bring sanity, and a bit of humor to otherwise we dire We have been given the spiritual gifts of manliness, doctorness, and other things. So, uh, in response to our letter, should I be concerned? Uh, I don't know if you should be concerned. You should hear the law as law, and hear the gospel as gospel. And it's the gospel that tells you you are in Christ and a new creature, and then endeavor to be who you already are in Christ to the glory of God and put to, get, put to death that old brat and all of his stuff. But that's for us to do until uh, Christ appears. And where there is no sin, the law doesn't kill anymore. So we can't wait for that day. But that, that's kind of the three uses. Damage control, you know, deep diagnosis, self-discipline. I've been really pondering recently on the whole, uh, I leave behind those things that hinder me and press on toward the glory that lies ahead. And, and leaving behind your sins and, and disowning them. You know, God no longer remembers those things. I don't need to either. And moving forward in the faith. And I, I think that that all plays in with this also, that if we dwell constantly on our sins that we've been absolved of, we, we really aren't going to make any forward progress in anything. That's true. I, I think the nature of forgiveness is liberation. Yes. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And if you are constantly looking back or looking down at your feet to see how your walk is going, you're going to stumble and fall. You fix your eyes on Christ, and you run the race that's set before you. You know, and I think if you want to get a bead on this whole business of of the law and the Christian as simultaneously a sinner and saint, read Galatians, especially Galatians chapter 5. It's like a textbook of this very Mm. thing. We are both flesh born of flesh. We are spirit born of spirit. We are set against ourselves. And Paul quite vividly describes the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And we can expect to see both at work in our lives. And hey, Here's the reality. Being a Christian ain't a pretty sight. It really we're, isn't. You know, we're probably flogging a dead horse here, but 
it, this is one of the things we're tenderizing that, it for that, for a nice ragu later on. <laughs> when I started to wrap my head around the whole simile that we are saints and sinners at the same time, that's the point where I became a Lutheran. That's the point where I understood grace because I had grown up in that fundamental nonsense of you are a saint or a sinner. Yes, but not not both at yes. the same time, or even worse, a sinner becoming a saint, working hard, working up the ladder, striving, yeah. blah well, blah yeah. blah. Yeah, but well, I, that's that's why you give your heart to Jesus every other week. You know, because you didn't do it right the last time. There's that telling sentence in Galatians five that that uh, the flesh and the spirit are at odds with one another, so that you do not do what you wish or what you want. I think that runs both ways. You are as, you are not as holy as you want to be as a saint in Christ because you are a sinner, and you are not as bad as you could be as a sinner in Adam because you're also a saint in Christ. So there's kind of a <laughs> it's a mutual restraint, you know, and that's the paradox, the tension of the Christian life. This is not a theoretical thing. This is not some scholastic category. This is this is an existential anxiety. So and, is it fair uh, to say then that the true Christian lives in mediocrity? <laughs> <laughs> the true Christian lives in a constant state of tension, and uh, yeah, yes, absolutely, and that's why you got to get your eyes off yourself and onto Christ. There's there's nothing. Uh, you right. know, I know that in me, that in my, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. So don't even go looking there. This is something that I'm seeing in in my congregation more and more that. Uh, People's minds are just being blown when when I just keep saying that's about you. It's not about Jesus. And they're but but but, but <laughs> you know it, it's just it's it's so great to see you know that certain people are are starting to really grasp this for the first time. And it's like that's awesome. Yeah, it's that look. It really, cool. it's that look like somebody who finally gets um, a really good dinner. They you know they we talked about pizza. They've they've always right. had pizza, and then they get a great pizza and their eyes light up and say, Oh, that's what pizza tastes like. <laughs> it's like, Oh, that's what gospel sounds like. Oh, I have not, not heard that before. So it's, that's a great thing. When you finally have a piece of a pizza, <laughs> grandma, Hey, what do you got from the wacky world of religion? Oh, let me get over to that screen here. We've got all sorts of here. zany, nutty things. Yes. This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Yes. What, what, uh, what was that guy's name? Harold Camping. Harold Camping. Uh, yeah, the, the, the rapture that happened, what was that, like four raptures ago? Five raptures ago? I've lost count. All right, we've got quite a smorgasbord, a smorgasbord. of weird religion here. All right, we're going Swedish here. We're uh, a I'm going to uh, skip over that one. Let's see. Woman accused of stealing a Bible. Okay. Um, Do I get to Jesus? Pick? Jesus in shower mold. Whoa, 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 whoa. Say that again. Jesus in shower mold. Mm, Apparently, okay. we've had another oh, Jesus a sighting? sighting. A sighting, yes. okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, serpent pastor dies of snake bite. We've uh, heard that we've, one. We've yeah. gone down that snake that route before. Um, military. Uh, Russian military creates flying church with paratrooper priests. Whoa, that has potential. Vatican's exorcist declares yoga is satanic. Oh, got to go there. Uh, or, uh, 
I have no idea what this one is. Hmm. Religion compels this Pastafarian to wear a colon. Oh, that's oh, old. No, no, no. Never we're, not, we're not going down there. Hey. Yes. Yoga. Yoga, yoga is devilish, satanic. Devilish yoga. Satanic yoga. Let's go for that. What's, what's, the, what's the word on that? Uh, yoga is the work of the devil, according to a man who claims to have banished evil spirits from 70,000 people. 70,000. Gabriel Amorth, the Vatican's chief exorcist, says yoga leads to a belief in Hinduism, and all Eastern religions are based on a false belief in reincarnation. There's a, there's a modicum of truth floating around that. All, all yoga leads to Hinduism? Well, yoga, the discipline of yoga, is, is Hindu-Buddhist. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I used to do P90X, and, and I did the <laughs> yoga once a week. Yeah, no, P90X is not yoga, okay? Well, I did downward dog, upward dog. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to know what crying you did. Crying baby, you know, crying no, baby pose yoga. mostly. That's just, not yoga. And, and you know, it, it didn't have—there was a certain spirit involved, though. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly it, in the stretch. This is why I don't do yoga in a public know, class. It, okay? it expels that evil spirit out of your rump, <laughs> unlike any other. I see the flarp has made it a is, reappearance. It is just the most farty thing I've ever done in my life. You, you just start twisting in the wrong directions and gas must escape. You've, you've explained why I never take a yoga class. Yes. This is all, in fact, I always exercise in the privacy, or the British say privacy, and the comfort privacy. of my own home. Yes. So, hmm, what evidence does he have that yoga oh, is satanic? Let's, let's read on here. The elderly priest speaking at a film festival in Italy this week <laughs> said practicing <laughs> yoga leads to evil just like the Harry Potter books, oh. which he believes promotes black magic. Wait, is this a real site? Is this, Are you reading the Babylon Bee? I'm, I'm going to say yes, it is. Are you reading the uh, Babylon Bee? No, Tell it, was me from, it was from HuffPo. All right, okay, all right. Uh, in Harry Potter, the devil acts in a crafty and covert manner under the guise of extraordinary powers, right. magic spells, and curses, said Amorth. Isn't Amorth one of the characters in Harry Potter? I have no blooming idea. No, that's this priest. Sorry, I get them confused all the time. Maybe uh, maybe he is in Harry Potter. Could that be? <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, anyway, there's uh, some exorcism movie, and... Uh, Jesuit priest, the exorcist. Who what, what's his order? Cetera, is, is, cetera, he, is he part of an order? Is he Jesuit? Um, I'm trying to see. There's nothing that nothing indicates that. This seems about this Roman seems Catholic to Church be and sexual scandals. This name? seems to be a guilt by association argument. If you are doing yoga as exercise moves. And not getting your all all chi all lined up and stuff and all that, you know. Right. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's like saying karate satanic. Yeah, I was going to bring up martial arts. You could you, know, you could raise the same issue with martial arts because they originate with Buddhists who didn't want to have weapons, but they wanted to beat the crap out of you if they were attacked. And they had a lot of time on their hands, so they 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 developed these disciplines, which are quite lethal actually. But they're it's yeah. supposed to be defensive, right? You don't use these things offensively, unless you're Chuck Norris. Well, yeah, but Chuck oh. Norris doesn't even need to use karate. Well, he's to, a demigod, so the, that's just, in fact, just I think watching, look. watching Chuck Norris movies might be detrimental to faith too. I don't know. 
Okay, so I had a Kenpo instructor back when I was taking you had, what, Kenpo you had a, in high you had a school what? and stuff. Kenpo. 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 What's that? It's uh, Chinese martial art. Oh. And I took Kenpo from junior high through high school. But I anyway. would have thought you'd be more into sumo wrestling if you're going to do Go Asian. Well, I, I selected <laughs> Kenpo as a young man for a reason. It's oh, like 80% upper babes. body and 20% kicks. Oh, that's so, why you have skinny ankles. It's a low kicking kind of thing. Yeah. It may be the root of my skinny ankles. I'm yeah. not sure. Okay. Well. But I, I did have one instructor who was into some weird spiritualism. It was something called Scientology. Whoa. Well, <laughs> that, that's, so, yeah, that's L. Ron Hubbard. So Yeah. So martial arts may well lead you into... Into Scientology? False religion. No, I think watching Tom Cruise movies will do that. <laughs> or being married to Tom Cruise. Apparently, that doesn't work because they all leave after a while. Yeah, well, like, I, I will say one thing about Tom Cruise. He picks really good scripts. He does. I, I, I Whoever chooses his his scripts for him, he, he picks good ones. He channels like Jack the, Reacher novels. The spirit Big of fan. L. Ron Hubbard, who Could apparently be. wrote a great... Uh, a great reading curriculum. You know, he's a gifted writer, science fiction author. He, he wrote a lot of sci-fi. I've never heard the word great really associated well, no, with No, he writing, has but... a reading curriculum that's apparently really very good oh, to teach okay. kids to read. Uh, but the, the, and the whole bit was somebody dared him to invent a religion, and so he did. Yeah, the, the gossip is that it was Anton LaVey. Oh, he was a Satanist, wasn't he? Yeah, he's the guy who wrote the Satanic Bible, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So never mind that. Well, here's yeah. the here's the deal. I, yeah, I knew a guy, I think you know him too, um, who's, who made the statement that Buddhism is the greatest of natural theologies. Now, that's kind of a provocative statement. Yeah. But what he's, what he's saying, though, is that Buddhism as a philosophy is essentially what you could know without divine revelation. Right. And so these things, like the disciplines of yoga or the disciplines of martial arts, these are just disciplines that, that very deep ancient cultures have explored, you know, the dynamics of the human body and, and what it means to focus, to relax, to concentrate. And they basically have distilled these down into disciplines. I think these come, because they're part of the physical world, they come as neutral and, in fact, part of First Article gifts. Would you agree? Yes. I've also noticed that most people that I have met who are into these sorts of things, um, read as crunchy, weird Southern Californians, have been some of the least peaceful individuals I've ever met in my life who have found true inner peace. Oh, their yin and their yang is totally out of line. <laughs> their yin and the these, yang are, have long... The, I mean, the bus has left the terminal. In, you know, these are the people who will look you in the eye and say, I have found such peace, and then they're out shooting people on the freeway. Well, you know, right. I mean, it's just, just psycho. That's right. Or, psycho or, stuff. Or cussing you out for cutting them off at the Costco checkout line. Yeah, yeah. And, and I always love when your yoga instructor becomes an expert in nutrition. You know how I was talking about pastors uh, become experts in everything. So, you, you know, your yoga instructor tells you that, that gluten is bad for you. So, of course, that must be true. Well, um, I thought being a Lutheran pastor means that you're automatically an expert in essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> you would think. <laughs> yeah, I think you always have to be on the alert, when um, when things come with 
uh, loosely termed spiritualities. You know, I've seen, yeah. I've seen, uh, and I've heard yoga instruction, yoga things where where you kind of look and and they're talking about you know embrace that inner thing and blah blah blah, and and it's like knock that crap off, okay? That's the, that's the I know that in me that is my flesh dwells no good thing just right. help me work the kinks out in the morning okay exactly. because because basically you know i f- i feel like a, a a gordian knot and i need to get so some stretching some exercise some breathing apparently it does wonders for blood pressure yeah i'm i'm really interested in tai chi actually um because you you do get a lot of the stretching of yoga but also a lot of isometric exercise involved in that also. Right. So it's actually kind of kind of cool that way. But, you know, if I'm going to look to that for inner peace, I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, good I'm luck. just screwed. That's good, all there good is luck. to it. And, yeah. and, you know, if you look at the whole realm of kinesiology, the whole realm of exercise, you talked about P90X. Look at something like Pilates, oh, yeah. which is real popular with the women, but it started out with athletes. I believe rehabbing it's pronounced athletes. I don't think it's Pilates. Paula goes to Pilates every Saturday. That's how I know. (laughs) That's what she tells you. (laughs) But, you know, now it's associated with women, but it wasn't with athletes uh, rehabbing after injuries. And Hmm. and it's about strengthening by lengthening muscles and not using a lot of heavy weights. But but basically it's a combination of stretch and exercise at the same time. But that has a lot of yoga elements in it, too. So. Um, you know, th- this gets a little goofy after all. I think a lot of this stuff runs with a guilt by association argument. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And you just have to kind of say, look, take the good stuff and discard the spirituality, the stuff that's obviously bogus. And it's like Oprah, you know, you can listen to Oprah. She's got some smart stuff. She's not stupid. But just disregard the spiritual stuff. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Hey, Bill. Hmm. Namaste. Namaste. What is what is? I don't even know what that means. Namaste. I think it's like see you later. I'm see not sure. Later. Okay. <laughs> there was another thing. Oh, I've got a I got a wacky religion. I think it's kind of like peace. I got a, maybe it's peace. I, I'm gonna Google that. Anyway, I, I'm I got sorry, a, I got a wacky religion thing for you. Somebody gave me and this is a, a little quick thing at the end of this podcast. That's kind of fun to try at home. Okay, this is a play at home game. Speaking of Catholics and the Pope and everything, try. Googling the following concept, okay? Catholic converts to Lutheranism. Oh. Okay, try Googling and look for, actively search for, and try the words in different combination, Catholic, Lutheran, convert, Lutheran, Catholic, convert. Just scramble them. Just do all kinds of Google searches. You always come up with one thing. Hmm. Lutherans who have converted to Catholics. Interesting. Now, try the second thing, and that is Lutheran Orthodox converts or Orthodox converting to Lutherans, if there are any. I don't know if that that ever happens. but um, And the same thing. And you'll always get Lutherans who have converted to Orthodoxy. Now try one more, and that is Orthodox and Catholic converts. So Orthodox converting to Catholic or Catholic converting to Orthodox, and you get an even mix of the two. One other data point, when you do Lutherans converting to Catholic, or Catholics converting to Lutherans, and you get Lutherans converting to Catholics, 
you will notice that the first site that is not a Catholic site is a Wikipedia article. That's what I came up with. Right. Right. So what does that tell you? 61 pages of people who have become Lutheran from Roman Catholicism. Who have become what? Where? 61 pages? Or do you have a Yeah, it's 61 names, you know, each one with its own page. Right, okay. But category, Converts to Lutheranism from Roman Catholicism, Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, from Wikipedia. But all the sites that are above it are all Catholic apologetic sites. Actually, that came up first. It came up first? Wikipedia usually comes up first in my searches for some reason. You know, it wasn't coming up first on, on the guy who showed me that. So we're Let's see to... here. I've considered leaving my Catholic faith to become a Lutheran, Lutheran converts to Catholicism, Lutheran, why I'm Catholic, former Lutheran pastor, why I'm becoming Catholic. I'm a Roman Catholic Lutheran. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> talk about Simmel. There you go. There you are. Hey, uh, I'm trying it right now, just just for fun. Let me let me see. Here it comes. Anyone every convert to Catholic uh, from Catholic to Lutheran? Oh, it is the first Wikipedia article. Yeah. Why I left the Roman Catholic Church? Steadfast Lutherans. Well, there you go. Lutheran. Why I'm Catholic. Former Lutheran pastor. I'm a Roman Catholic Lutheran. Pope Francis man- mandates all Catholics convert to Lutheranism. <laughs> Oh, well, there. I didn't see that one. That sounds like a good one. Here's six steps on how to become a Lutheran on WikiHow. Whoa. How to become a Lutheran. Six steps. All right. You know what? I can't not click on that. Go for it. What Step you one, Step go one. to a Lutheran church and ask the pastor about membership. Okay. Step two, the pastor will usually offer to take you through a Bible instruction class or meet with you to discuss the differences between Lutherans and other Christians. Step three, after the class, you are welcome to, uh, uh, to be a Lutheran member. Step four, keep reading the Bible and grow in your faith. Step five, read the small catechism. Oh, shouldn't, shouldn't have step five been up yeah, that, around? Yeah, hmm, okay. Uh, step yeah. two? Yeah, right. But, uh, step six, try to read the Book of Concord. Try to. Try to. Oh, well, yeah. You know, that's not, not except for the step two, step five uh, confusion, that's yeah. not half bad. That's not half bad. Six well, steps to how to become a loser. So that was kind of an on-air fail, but it didn't come out the way it did for my friend. And so I'm going to have to do a partial retraction because he was under the impression that the Catholics were stacking the uh, Google deck. A little conspiratorial. But did Pope Francis say Lutherans can take communion at a Catholic Mass? I don't know, but I want to click on uh, Pope Francis mandates all Catholics to convert to Lutheranism. Yes, by all means, we need to talk about It's in the Eye of the Tiber in New Apostolic Exhortation. Pope Francis, just hours after Pope Francis published his latest Reformatio C., Catholic theologian Cardinal Walter Casper told Lutherans that though Pope Francis' apostolic exhortation mandating all Catholics convert to Lutheranism might be tough to comprehend, he nevertheless prayed that they have faith in the same Holy Spirit that not only chose Francis to become Pope, but was also the instrument behind the works of St. Martin Luther. Is this the Catholic version of the Babylon Bee, or am I reading? I don't know what I'm reading here. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what that site is. I would like to, uh, let me finish this. This is interesting. Yes. I would like to say that though this new exhortation is a few hundred years coming, it's finally here, Casper said. 
Honestly, I think the controversies surrounding Reformatio C are ludicrous. Luther reformed a corrupt church, meaning that his ideas were superior to the Catholic faith. And since God calls us to greatness, then we ought to accept the superiority and greatness of Luther's teachings. True. Uh, mm, red flag. Except is misspelled. <laughs> it's, it's accept as in make exceptions, not ah. accept as in receive. Final paragraph. Dang spell checker. Yes. Listen and listen to me clearly, Casper went on to say. I got 95 theses, but a pope ain't one. I understand that, and Francis understands that, and that's why as of tomorrow, Pope Francis will relinquish his title as head of the whore of Babylon <laughs> and will kindly ask to be simply called Pastor Jorge. He's Come been, on. He's been given a part-time job as associate youth pastor in training at Atonement Lutheran Church in Louisville, <laughs> Kentucky. We ask everyone to pray that he does well. So that's like a... Uh, womp, womp. That's great. That's great. That's from Eye of the Tiber, breaking, breaking Catholic news so you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Although oh. religion news service does come up with apparently he has insinuated that Lutherans may receive communion at Catholic altars. Well, that was that's been kind of the the over overall vibe lately is to make peace. Uh, you know, Pope Francis is not exactly uh, he's not bringing a lot of theological horsepower to this, no. to this discussion, but everybody's kind loves, of the Jimmy Carter of the Roman Catholic he Church. Real really nice guy. Is. He really, I nice he, guy. I wonder if he's got a brother. You know, you remember that was Jimmy Carter's downfall. <laughs> Billy. Remember Billy got a lot. I, I wonder if there's a Billy behind Francis. But um no, there's they've been trying to make peace with the Lutherans. Would it be Guillermo? Yeah, right. yeah Guillermo right. or Gilly for short, right? You know, he's but, a he's a he's a winemaker. He's he not in a beer so he's much. A, he's a winemaker. Yeah. Makes a he does a, makes a nice Sangiovese. But but uh, right. the Lutherans are as close to Catholics as it gets. You know, in the dog pen of, of Christianity here, and and so uh, it's understandable, and and it's kind of an embarrassment to to the papacy because Luther's. Luther's critique of the papacy today, I don't think very very many people would argue with it. They they may not like the character of Luther, and they may not like Lutheranism, but I don't think the critique of the medieval papacy anybody's going to argue with today. No, I th- I think you're dead on with that. And I think there's a shift in the Catholic Church as to the nature of the Church too. Uh, well, Vatican II kind of changed a lot. You yeah, know, made a lot more inclusivity. Uh, possible and that sort of thing. Well, they've done a little pendulum back and forth because because Benedict was not a Vatican II kind of person. No, no, no. And Francis is Vatican II and more. So <laughs> so it, it kind of remains to be seen. Let's see here. The Pope went on at some length to wonder whether the Eucharist should be taught or thought of rather as an endpoint of ecumenicism or as an aid on the journey together toward full denominational communion. So no, that's okay. what you were saying. Yeah. No. So there. Right. And quite frankly, I, I think that from the external view of things, a little bit more unity wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh, it is kind of a scandal when Christians are, you know, at each other's throats like the various sects of Islam or something of that nature. But I think this episode is fully ripe. It's fermented, don't you? I think it reeks. It's like actually. a fine ragu. It's, it's, I was it's, thinking more like a well-aged stinky cheese. A stinky cheese. Yes. Or, or perhaps uh, your grandma's uh, octopus, which you once described as a uh, smelling tire. like a burning tire. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and any of your favorite podcast apps. Listen to our full archive of over 300 episodes at godwhispers.org. Drop us an email with your God problem at godwhispers at gmail.com. We thank you for your support and for keeping us on the air, and especially thanks for listening. Thank you.